So welcome to Restoration House. We're delighted to have Dave and Pat with us this evening and Ian's going to continue his word on the Trinity. And then there's a prophetic word around that. And then we'll see where the Holy Spirit leads us, whether we dialogue or whether we go into groups. We'll see what happens. So thank you, Dave. Over to you. Thank you, Chris. Good to be with you again. February, here we are. Uh, it was the other day, um, a friend of mine, uh, Kenny Bothwick in uh, Scotland, uh, was lamenting the fact that um, so often in our worship, uh, there's not that sense of joy. Um, going back um, in previous years, there was a sense of joy and the tambourines were out and uh, people were lifting up their voices and uh, raising the rafters in most wonderful fashion. And um, he was lamenting that there's not many songs that really, you know, give us a sense of, of joy as we're singing. There's a, often on the worship leader's face, there's a pained expression uh, reaching out for something. But the good news is, of course, we are already in something. You know, we're called to run the race, but we're already on the winning side. We, we're called to fight the fight, but we've overcome through the power of his blood. And um, I thought we'd start with a song, uh, an old one actually of mine. <laughs> Uh, but I thought it'd be great to start with. I am a new creation, no more in condemnation. Here in the grace of God I stand. My heart is overflowing, my love just keeps on growing. Here in the grace of God I stand. And I will pray. Yes, I will praise you, Lord, and I will sing about what you have done. A joy that knows no limit, a lightness in my spirit, here in the grace of God I stand. I am a new creation, no more in condemnation. Here in the grace of God I stand My heart is overflowing My life just keeps on growing Here in the grace of God I stand And I will praise you, Lord Yes, I will praise you, Lord And I will sing of all that you have done Joy that knows no limit, a lightness in my spirit. Here in the grace of God I stand. Let's see it one more time. Here we go. I am a new creation, no more in condemnation. Here in the grace of God I stand. My heart is overflowing. My life just keeps on growing. Here in the grace of God I stand And I will praise you, Lord Yes, I will praise you, Lord And I will sing of all that you have done A joy that knows no limit A lightness in my spirit Here in the grace of God I stand And I will praise you, Lord. Yes, I will praise you, Lord, and I will sing of all that you have done. 
that knows no limit A lightness in my spirit Here in the grace of God Here in the grace of God Here in the grace of God I stand Yeah, bring out those tambourines now John, I remember you used to play a tambourine very well And the trumpet, of course <laughs> And that's where we are New creations in you, Lord We thank you For the joy and For the riches of grace that you bestow upon us This is my desire To Have your way in me. 
to understand in a greater depth that the love that you bring flows from a throne of grace. With all the confusion of this world, it's so easy to forget, Lord, that you are in charge, you're in control, you reign supreme. And your will and your ways and your purposes are born out of love, everlasting love. Cause us, Lord, to embrace that. 
causes, Lord, to understand that all heaven is singing the anthem of your name. There's crescendos of praise rising up right now towards you. Praise and thanks and honour and glory and amazement at your wonder.
Father, I just thank you for the beautiful, delightful words that David's songs have introduced us about the love of the Father flowing endlessly. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Amen. We come humbly in a position of worship to hear mm. your word through Ian now. The deep subject of the Trinity, yeah. building on last month, Lord, that we could mm. we could talk about the Trinity forever. Yes. The Lord, let us have ears to hear and eyes to see what you're sure. showing us mm. right now. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Ian. Amen. So, Heavenly Father, in our time together tonight, both in my speaking and then in the interaction that takes place and in Chris's contribution of the word that you've given her, we ask that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and that you would enlighten our hearts and reveal yourself and what you're saying and what you're doing in our time let this be a time of corporate revelation 
of receiving of you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I just want to give some thoughts, some insights. I'm aware that Chris is carrying some stuff, which I want to give her time as well. But for probably now 30 years, this phrase that dropped into my heart while I was teaching at a Bible school is still resonating in me that God is Trinity is ultimate reality. And that he has always been God. You know, we find this difficult to understand because we are people that have a beginning. Uh, however, God has no beginning. There was a time before the beginning of where he created the heavens and the earth, but before that he still existed and he created the heavens as his dwelling place and the earth and the cosmos for our dwelling place and enjoyment. And yet he doesn't need any of that. He is God from eternity past. And his pinnacle of creation is making humankind, man and woman, in his image and in his likeness. And as we are wowed by the pictures from the James Webb telescope that keep coming of the universe and all that's taking place and increasing our understanding of the galaxies and the origins of time, etc. In God's perspective, humankind is his pinnacle of creation, which is staggering. We are made in his image and likeness. We are made to be like him. And I think this is one of the reasons why he early on, he commands in the Ten Commandments, you, you're not to make a carved image, a graven image of anything, because that won't do me justice. Because mankind is to be the image bearers of what God is like. This is just an amazing honor that we are created to be like him and to carry his nature. And of course, in his kindness, he sends Jesus, who fully expresses the fullness of what God is like, opens our eyes to understand what we are to be. This is a new humanity, the new creation that comes in, that is different to anything that's gone on previously. And we are now this new creation in Christ Jesus, having responded to him and having received him. And so... In the upper room, in this intimate environment with his disciples, who are asking Jesus to show them the Father. He says, don't you realize, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am the exact image. I am the representation of his reality. And he talks about the fact that actually it was the Father that's living in him, that's saying these words. Believe me, says, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And the Father abiding in me is doing his works. And then staggeringly, in a few sentences later, uses this same abiding word, not only of him and the Father, but of him and us. Abide in me, and I will abide in you, 
And not only will I abide in you, but the Father's going to come and make his abode in you. And the Spirit who I send, he will be within you. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in us, and we are in the Father, and we are in the Son, and we are in the Spirit. And this intimacy of relationship, where we're in God and God is in us, is now our living reality. And because we are now in Christ, we've been put in Christ by the Father, we are learning what it means to learn to do life like they do. And we're all in this process of learning to live like they do. And in revealing himself to us, I, I love the way that John is the disciple who's in the bosom of Jesus. Jesus is in the bosom of the Father. John is in the bosom of Jesus at the Last Supper. And um, I, I gladly admit that a number of years ago, I, I just fell in love with John and his writings. The, the intimacy that he had and the revelation that he had. And so both in his gospel and in his first epistle, John consecutively reveals what is the nature of God. By extension, this is going to be now our new nature. This is our new way of living. So I could have read this from the gospel, but I'm going to read it from his first epistle. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes and what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was manifested to us. And so there are these three words, and this is the first one, all beginning with L in English, of course, that reveals what God, the Trinity, is like, life. And the word that is used here is a quite a unique word. It's in Greek, it's Zoe. It's the life of God himself is revealed in Jesus. He is the eternal life. He is the word of life. And he reveals the fact that this is the nature of the God life that he's come to show us. And John, of course, makes it really clear. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son does not have the life because this life, this abundant life, Zoe life, God kind of life, this is found in Jesus and in relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all of whom live in and carry and express this wonderful life. Down to verse five. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. So God is life and God is light. And he goes on to say, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, 
we have fellowship with one another. That is us and the Father, us and Jesus, we have fellowship. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin as we live in the light that comes from him. We can now have light in relationships with one another. Just stunning so that we don't have to live in darkness with one another. We don't have to be hidden. We, we don't have to be like society is. We can live in God's realm of light. And of course, uh, I, I don't want in any way to give you the suggestion that I've got this. I'm learning. I'm learning what it means to live in his uh, life and to live in his light. And of course, an expression of living in this light, uh, chapter 2, verse 10, the one who loves agapes, his brother, abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. So you've got this brilliant three things, this life and this light and this agape love, all of which this is the very nature of God Jesus reveals and then invites us to come into him so that we can receive what he lives in so that we can then unbelievably be the light of the world. Jesus says, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And he sends us to carry love, to carry light and to carry life into the environments in which we go in. And for me, this is why it's really so important in the learning process of learning to receive from him, to live like him, and then to give away to others, that we give priority to inner transformation, to the renewing of our minds and the restoring of our souls. Because all of us have picked up things from our past that don't represent what heaven's realm is like, and so my mind has to be rewired, renewed to think like him. And I, I'd like to propose that reading the Bible per se doesn't renew your mind. Because lots of people have read the Bible and lots of people don't have renewed minds. But it's what the spirit brings. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And as we, it's great to read the scriptures, of course it is. But as, as the spirit takes what is God breathed and applies it to our life, and as we receive it, it becomes our daily bread that renews our mind. And that how he feels about it rewires our soul, rewires our soul, so that instead of carrying hurts and pains from the past because of the way people have treated or mistreated us, we learn to receive how he feels, so that we can then pour him out to others around us. And so this inner transformation is the ongoing blessing of this walk of faith that we have in relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So let me just focus this a moment by saying that agape, this love, divine love, Paul says rejoices with the truth. And I think it's really important that love, agape, and truth are constantly connected 
and never separated. And Jesus, of course, demonstrates love as the Father loved me, so have I loved you. But he also says, I am the truth. Love and truth are perfectly connected in Jesus. Jesus is the truth, and according to Paul, truth is in Jesus. So this is the nature of God. He never violates truth in his expression of love, never sacrifices love at the expense of truth. They are together. This is his very nature. And why this is so important is as a result of the things that have happened this last week in our nation that has a bearing on church life. Because as you are probably aware, the Anglican Synod has met and made some decisions, which I know I'm not the only one that struggles with. But I think it's really important that we are learning to respond in a God kind of way and in a way that is honoring to the Lord. The challenge to me is that um, rightly I believe that the Church of England have refused to conduct marriage ceremonies for gay couples because it's my conviction that God made the man and woman and marriage is a relationship between a man and a woman. The confusing and the concerning thing is that although marriage isn't acceptable within a church building, blessing is. And so this act of blessing is now being permitted to take place in an Anglican setting. And so somebody, a gay couple can go to a registry office, get married, and then come back to the church building to have their relationship blessed. And honestly, my challenge is how can somebody bless what I see the scripture regards as sin? And clearly, it's not an issue we can duck. It's not an issue that we can be silent about. But I, I do believe we are to be full of love, full of grace, but also full of truth in this time. To me, a plumb line scripture is 1 Thessalonians 4. He says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from porneia. And porneia is sexual relationship outside the covenant of marriage of a man and a woman. And so all people, whether they're heterosexual or homosexual, are behoven to receive this word that the will of God is that we abstain from Ponean. That's our sanctification. I, I'd just like to throw in a, another conviction that I have, which we may, we may or may not want to talk about, is that our society has become so shaped by human rights. It's actually a humanistic perspective of putting man at the center. 
And what we have is now a system of human rights. The Bible says very little about human rights. What the Bible speaks about is relationship with God and we get to reveal the nature of God through our relationship with him. And I would like to suggest that sex is not a human right. It's actually a divine gift that is given that we have the honor of giving to others in the covenant of marriage. When we see it in human right, it's my right, it distorts the beauty and sanctity of what God has done in our human lives in making us in his image and likeness. And so I just want to, in closing, uh, read Ephesians 5, just so that we can tie this together. This is Paul. So I say this and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. In the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding. So according to Paul, there's darkness and not light. We mustn't walk in darkness. Ours is to walk in light. Excluded from the life of God, this Zoe life, this divine life that Jesus was full of, the Gentiles were excluded from this life because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality and for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of desire, deceit. Lusts and deceit always go together. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. And the truth is experience as we position ourselves to receive righteousness and holiness that only comes from the righteous and holy one. And it's his righteousness and holiness that enables us to perceive what truth is. But if we open up our hearts and lives to futile living, it causes deception. And this deception just causes us to have hardness of heart and causes us to miss God's plan to be made in his image and likeness. And so this is a practical issue that has come up this week that I feel our honor is to represent heaven's realm and not to be shaped 
by what is either human thinking or Earth's realm in this situation. Over to you, Chris. Thank you, Ian. Well, this week I received a prophetic word. Um, I journal in the morning and I pray and my prophetic words usually come in a written form that I just keep writing what I get. Um, I don't normally share them in this context. I like to share them in what I call an apostolic context in a place where people can run with them, build with them, do something with them. I'm not a fan of Facebook prophecy because I believe that the church is built on the foundations of apostles and prophets. Of course, personal prophecy, one-on-one -on -one encouragement is one thing. But when, when prophetic words are, are speaking into a strategic context, they need an apostolic context where those with appropriate authority or responsibility can say yes or no and can act on them. So I'm going to share this word, but before I share the word, which I received on Friday, this morning I was convicted that it's really important when we teach about prophetic and how to share. Um, communication can be misunderstood. And because of what's happened this week and the, the key emphasis on Wednesday in the Church of England, it can seem that everything pivots on this decision but what I want to say is it's not about that decision about blessing there's a higher issue going on and so just want to put that in place now not that I'm, I'm saying I don't agree or agree <clears throat> it's we need to see what actually is going on in spiritual warfare, governmental warfare that's going on. This is, this is the catalyst this week, but that's not the main issue. And this morning I was convicted because I've seen lots of posts for, for and against. I have no Anglican background at all. Um, so I don't have a personal interest, if you like, in what's being said, but the Holy Spirit convicted me of Mark 8.15, which is about Jesus saying, beware the leaven of Herod and the leaven of Pharisees. So what I'm, I want to say now is what, what I believe he was saying is that you can hear one point of view that you might not agree with. And in this particular context, what happened on Wednesday, if you like, was a political decision political persuasion and we could say that's the leaven of Herod the worldly the political view but I would say equally I've seen posts with the opposite view that I would say is the leaven of Pharisees yeah. people quoting bibles judgment all sorts of horrific things being said on both sides neither of those is right so I really urge myself and us to, to not be drawn in to the leaven of Herod or the leaven of Pharisees, but that we see things from above. Psalm 115 says, the highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth is given into the hands of men and women, hopefully. But he's given dominion on earth. He's given authority on earth. And this is a key issue. I believe that he's speaking to the church today. 
It happens to be the church in this country, but we need to have higher wisdom, spiritual discernment, rather than looking at what's going on on the ground and who's saying what. There's, there's a bigger war taking place here. Uh, about a month ago, we meet with some leaders in Southampton. We had these lunches where we meant to get to know each other. And I happened to be on the table with the local vicar of Southampton, the biggest church, biggest Anglican church in Southampton. And I just happened to say to her, I don't know why I said it. I said, oh, do you realize I live 100 yards from your church? I said, I'm, I don't know anything about Anglicanism, or, but just tell me, what spiritual authority do you have over me? And she said, oh, I have spiritual authority over everyone within my parish, which actually is enormous. It's not just Southampton. It's almost edging on other parts around Southampton. And I have spiritual authority over Christians and non-Christians. Everybody who's in this boundary, this spiritual boundary, I have spiritual authority over. That spiritual authority is given me by the bishop, the bishop of Southampton. So there is a spiritual authority, but it's also, she said, a legal authority because of the church and the state. Mm -hmm. Now, I wasn't thinking about anything that was going to happen this week, but it just fascinated me that I realized I'm under this woman's spiritual authority. Whether, I didn't even realize that. I didn't know that. But there's something going on. If we take Psalm 115, the highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he's given, people with authority, governmental authority on the earth, have given governmental authority to other people. Now, we have the church and the state. They're not separate. So what happens in the government does have an impact on the state. And now there's talk about changing laws because the church cannot, cannot have separate laws from the law of the land. So forget the issue. Think about what's going on in the heavenlies. And then on Friday, I had the strangest picture, which I'm going to, to read. It's a prophetic word. Um, I don't know if Sue Sinclair's still on because it's Liverpool's mentioned. She might have gone. She's actually meeting with some. Yes, she was there. Is she there? She's there. Oh, yeah. yeah, so Liverpool was yeah. mentioned. I see. So it's quite interesting because, again, I have no Anglican background. 50 years in the charismatic movement, Pentecostal before that. Don't know anything about bells and smells or anything like that. But I saw what are cathedral cities. Cathedral cities in England... And I saw that there were scrolls and mandates over cathedral cities that had authority. But what was happening was there were new people coming in, that the Lord was bringing in gatherings of strategic, prophetic, apostolic people. When I use the word apostolic, those who can build on the word of God. These cities were places where earthly power had previously been imposed to represent God's church. But these cathedrals, these cities, these places of authority in the church were elevating the wisdom of man above the wisdom of God and imposing that wisdom on the government of God's church on earth. God said no more. It is time. He's been preparing people for this time to gather, equip, and network in humility and righteousness 
to hear and respond to governmental decrees of heaven for earth at this time. A seismic shift occurred this week. No, don't focus on the issue, it's higher than the issue. The vision I had focused on specific cities, cathedral cities, and they represented God's authority. Cathedrals are known as hierarchical governmental establishments, mandating on God's behalf, but not holding God's mandate. They've been exposed and they will be deposed. Key cathedral cities were highlighted like burning beacons. Oxford was a main one. London, Liverpool, Plymouth, Portsmouth, Bristol. Other cathedral cities were burning as well, but this burning was a good burning, a refining burning. It was also a beacon burning, a fire to alert the people. The God, God recognized the spiritual authority over cathedral cities which man had given authority over the church. But God is putting his people in cathedral cities to have that governmental authority. Um, beacons used to warn of the enemy, to celebrate the reign of a king, and to communicate across long distances. The beacons I saw signified all of these but more, the rising of the sons and daughters of the king. Isaiah 30, 17 to 21, the whole chapter is a prophetic declaration to the church in this nation right now. The tipping point has come. Whitby. In September, John and I went up to see Timisu Eldridge and, and in a march, and we tried to stop at Whitby three times in different trips. We've tried to get to Whitby and we couldn't get there. And as we drove past again the third time, the truth was we wanted fish and chips. But I said, the Lord, why can't, why can we never get to Whitby? He said, I want you to research Whitby. So when I came home, I researched Whitby, didn't know anything about Whitby. And then I found there was this thing called the Synod of Whitby. And the Lord said to me, it is a tipping point time. It is a tipping point, just like with the Synod of Whitby, when there was a decision, the decision, this is what the Lord said to me was, will man run my church or will I run my church? And there was a decision back at the Synod of Whitby that the, would the Celtic church be in control of this nation or would what effectively became Rome, Catholic church? It's a tipping point. There's a tipping point happening now. Who will run the church on earth? Will it be a tipping point like in Whitby? He said, choose this day who you will serve. A beacon is a light on a hill. Will the people of God be revealed in this day? The church in this nation is in turmoil, facing implications of the Church of England decision this week. We will all face a backlash, whatever we think, and criticism for being a people of God, a Logos and Rima people. The battle is now at our door, and we must choose to stand for the word, on the word, and by the word. It's bigger than that issue. I really don't want it to sound like it's all about this issue of blessing. It's a far higher issue about who is in charge of God's church on the earth in this nation. This church is called to be a key gathering place for strategic dialogue, strategic decisions and strategic action, receiving direction from heaven. When a war is on, it's not business as usual. Whether we like it or not, war is now declared in this land against Christians who stand up for the word. 
What does that mean? Key cities and places have a mandate right now to be a military centre, to hear and respond, gather, equip, network, provide lines of communication across the nation for spiritual leaders to share and equip one another for specific battles that are ahead. But this warfare is through prayer, fasting, prophecy and apostolic wisdom. There will be a network of strategic apostolic hubs with a common purpose to hear and respond to what the spirit is saying in cities, regions and nations. Oxford will be a special place of spiritual government, underground government for the region. London will cease to be the key place of spiritual government for a season. Saints in London will receive wisdom from outside. Division by denomination will no longer be the issue for those who are led by the spirit. The issue will be knowing who the Lord is gathering together for his purpose at this time. And a few last year, the Lord said to me, we are his relational currency and he can spend us wherever he wants. And he's going to be spending us. He'll be connecting us with different people, moving us around, making new connections. So one of the costs will be laying down preconceptions and prejudices about who people are and seeing them by the spirit, not making judgments on people. 2 Corinthians 5, 6, 16. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Well, Paul says, you know, I've resulted to know no man except by the spirit. The church will need to adapt to accommodate all kinds of people coming and going, providing refuge and safe places for strategic planning. Prayer, strategic prayer will be a hallmark of the church. Powerful prayer to confine the enemy and to bring heaven's strategy. There'll be war rooms, places of strategic, prophetic and apostolic planning led by the spirit of God. Nice, comfortable church is no longer an option. The kingdom is advancing and the enemy is showing his hand. Prepare for war. This is a season of preparation ready for mobilization. Make room, sign up, enlist, get your equipment and uniform. It's a kingdom war to see the kingdom established. Christ in us is the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27. And just to finish, uh, last Saturday we had a group in our house and I was sharing that the Lord had told me to research the great the plague of London and the great fire of London. So I did that and the Lord said to me, you, we've, you sent, that we've come through, the church has come through the season of the plague. It's now in the season of the fire, but it will come into the season of rebuilding. Now, of course, that's what happened in London. Now, mm. I, I must be thick or something, but Sue Hall, who's on here tonight, she said, well, we've just had the plague, haven't we? It never occurred to me that COVID was the plague. So there was a plague that impacted the church and there's a fire coming now to refine the church. But then there's going to be the re rebuilding, just as London was rebuilt after the great fire. Wow. So he revealed that his church has been through the plague and now it will go through the fire, a purging fire, a purifying fire that would seem to bring the church to ruin. But restoration is coming. That is unimaginable. Just like the Great Fire of London destroyed the city and was rebuilt in a completely different way, so the church in England will be rebuilt. Right now, the fire is burning, London is burning, but the great architect is revealing his blueprints and calling his people to be restorers, rebuilders and renewers, according to his government. Thank you. Sue, I don't know if you want to add anything to that, because I know you got a passion 
Yeah, I absolutely love that. I do believe that's the word of the Lord. Um, yeah, I think it's it's a scary time. It's a, an exciting time. Um, I'd like to be able to share that with our team, actually, and really unpack it for the team to really um, pray into that as soon as possible, really. Um, interesting that... Um, this last week, I don't know whether anyone's noticed, but Liverpool Cathedral has got um, this art installation and it's called Coalescence, um, which means to unite. You know, it's all about uniting. And the the, the powers that be there actually um, believe it's all about the environment, but it's made up of two, you know, two, uh, two and a half thousand pieces of anthracite coal and um i really believe god's speaking loud and clear about his fire um mm. you know that he's even got this anthracite coal installation so we've already decided that we're going to go and really call the fire of god in um you know underneath that um i, I do think it's really important um, we're also taking our little team to Westminster Abbey as soon as we get permission from the dean to go um, because we want to pray prior to the coronation and really set some things in place. Um, but I really love that word. I believe it's from the Lord. Um, really want to unpack it and uh, embed bed that in really to make sure um that we don't miss anything really with it yeah so thank you um for sharing it's um very much on my heart yeah thank you and and let's remember beware the leaven the mm. the religious spirit that says we're right you're wrong god's like god likes us he doesn't like you the judgment we really need otherwise we're, we're just doing exactly the same we've got to have a higher perspective Yes, but so. I say as well, I was I was a bit shocked at what you said um when you spoke to your local minister and they said that they have both spiritual legal authority over you. So I, I think we need to look into that a little bit more because you know if that's the case, then spiritually and legally we're under a lot of stuff that we shouldn't be under um and, and so i think we need to to look at that a little bit more really what's god saying about that i think that's yeah, something yeah. i want to certainly know more about i was shocked to be honest i had no idea yeah, yeah. ian would you like to add anything before perhaps we carefully go into breakout groups <laughs> i i really value your caution in terms of not lurching from one spirit to another spirit, but really connecting with Holy Spirit. Because the religious spirit and the political spirit will just cause us to go astray. But Amen. the Holy Spirit is none of those. He is the spirit who is love. And he is the spirit who is truth. And this connection and maintaining the connection of truth and love is so important. And what 
Sue just said about coalescence. Here's the challenge. Um, the Anglican Church has tried to keep coalescence, the unity of the church. But Jeremiah says the Lord wants to separate the, the precious from the vile. And there has to be a separation of that which does not represent him. And that's why it's so important that we align with the spirit, the spirit who is love and the spirit who is truth, to that it's a pure and holy thing and not a fudge, a compromise, and a false alliance. Thank you. Mm. So, as we go into breakout groups, can I encourage you not to get into a debate about that issue? Because there's plenty of that going on. Can we bless and encourage one another to be brave and to, to hear the Spirit and to be led by the Spirit? Because at the end of the day, that's, that's who the sons and daughters of God are. Pat, is there anything you'd like to add? Um, yeah, I mean, it's a very deep, isn't it? I was just um, thinking in Ephesians 1, Paul prayed that we would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. And this knowledge is all about what God wants to be for us because we can become really overwhelmed by all of, all of this. And when we're overwhelmed we can be rescued by the spirit of wisdom and um, just simply coming and and asking God who who do you want to be for me in this situation um, will stop us being overwhelmed and also I think it's so important what you said about not judging that's so important um, God doesn't judge us and we are not to judge anyone but we just set people free. And if we can learn and ask God to help us to look at people and see them as he sees them, then we will draw out his goodness within them. And as that is drawn out, then that will come to the surface and other things will start to fall away. But we need to learn how to do that. That, that, that was my bit of... Thank you, to add, yeah. So with that word, with that spirit, <laughs> let's bless and encourage one another for 15 minutes in our groups. And then when we come together, I think we'll just thank the Lord and bless him. <laughs>